Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. Good morning. This is your wake-up call. Wake-up call 020, salty. Wake up call zero two zero, salty. Brand new wake up call, which means it's a brand new week. I'm excited for this week. I'm excited for this wake up call. I'm thankful that you've joined me here on the Faith for My Generation podcast, and I'm your host AJ. And I want to turn to Matthew chapter five verse thirteen. The book of Matthew, chapter five verse thirteen. It's the first verse after a, a section of what is often called the Beatitudes, uh, rightly so. The, uh, the act of being, if you will, or the Beatitudes. Maybe one day we'll take a look at those. But there's the next several verses after that, Jesus goes into some teaching on who you are as a Christian and as a believer. And really, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is the entire Sermon on the Mount. You know, if you're opening up your Bible and it's a study Bible, it'll have lots of times subheadings above scriptures. And you get to Matthew chapter 5, and that's when it shows you the Beatitudes and you're in the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount. But I want to look at one particular verse in this section uh, of this Sermon on the Mount. And it's Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. And uh, I want to make, I want to encourage you, make sure you come back next week for the next wake-up call because we're going to go right into verse 14. But that's next week, and today we're in Matthew 5, 13. And it says this, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the salt of the earth, and if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Jesus is teaching on in this Sermon on the Mount, in these Beatitudes, He's teaching how we as Christians, as believers, are to live. And He's really approaching the, this idea, especially in his day and age, and it hasn't changed. People don't change. Sin doesn't change, and God doesn't change. Uh, just time changes, really, all that ever changes. But in this day and age, you've got the Pharisees and Sadducees, and you've got this religious class of people that Jesus encounters. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief rulers, the synagogues, these folks, they have this idea that righteousness is an outward thing. If I count, if I log enough hours of prayer, if I show up to synagogue, if I'm at the temple, I bring the sacrifices. If I fast, you know, there's times where God has commanded fasting, but uh, I think it might have been. I think there's one or two commanded fast in the Old Testament law. But by the time Jesus comes to the earth for his earthly ministry, the Pharisees have brought up that one to two days throughout a year of fasting to 104, I believe, is what I just read studying the other day. So they multiplied the required days of fasting by 50. And why did they do that? Well, Jesus tells us in this teaching in Matthew 6, don't be like the Pharisees when you fast, that they make themselves look sad and downcast. No, I'm so holy because I'm fasting today. He says actually do the opposite. 
If you're out, you know, taking the time to pray and fast, don't even let someone know. Don't even look like you're praying and fasting. Let it be a secret. Let it be only between you and God. And that was the mindset of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and these religious rulers was, I need you to see that I am righteous. I need you to see. Because Jesus talks about this again in Matthew 6. You go to Matthew 6, and that's where we have the Lord's Prayer, which is really the disciples' prayer where Jesus teaches you and me how to pray. And he says, don't be like the hypocrites who go out into the streets, and they raise their hands, and they're praying out outside in the streets and, and, and making a show of it. It's not that raising your hands is wrong. That's a good thing. Shows us it's just an act of surrender, really. But these these folks, these are these jokers. They're out in the streets praying loud prayers and and desiring one thing to be noticed of men. They their idea of righteousness was completely an outward experience. And when you live for Christ, it will be visible by your actions. But your outward actions are produced by the life that's in you. And the true righteousness of God, the true power of God, is something that works from the inside of you out. It works its way out. It's like Jesus taught in John 15, the true vine. He said, I'm the true vine, you are the branches, and branches produce fruit. But how does a branch produce fruit? You go out to an apple tree. Apples hang off the branches of the apple tree. But how do those branches produce those apples? The sap that flows from the roots up through the trunk into the branches produces those apples. And it's the same way with you and me. We are connected to the true vine. We are branches of the true vine, Christ. And His life flows in us. And so that means his power causes us to live like he lives, speak like he speaks, think like he thinks. But it's a inward working itself out. And we get to Matthew 5, 13, and Jesus says this, You are salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. That's a statement. He's, he's stating a fact. As a Christian, as a believer, you are the salt of the earth. And then he makes this point, but if the salt loses its flavor or loses its saltiness, how shall it be seasoned or or how can it do what salt does? And at that point, once salt loses its power, it's good for nothing. All you can use it for then is to throw it out on the road, to give good traction out on the roadside. It's all it's good for at that point. Here I live in South Carolina, so it, it snows very rarely. But we've got a we had a few snows and ices and and sleets, uh, sleet storms and and ice icy rain this past winter, and uh, so we had to break out the salt, throw it out on the steps. That way people aren't slipping and sliding on the sidewalks. And he's saying that's all the salt's good for at this point. So I want you to see this. Salt has two main functions, if you will. There's two purposes uh, for salt. And, and you think about with food, with recipes. Uh, first, salt seasons food, right? Uh, if you ever have to eat food that has no salt, that has no pepper, it's very bland. Salt can drastically change how something tastes. A little bit of salt, 
you know, uh, there's these particular cookies that I make and I always put a little dab of salt in it because that salt sets off that sweet chocolate taste. But salt is there for taste. Salt also, also has a preserving factor to it. In fact, before refrigeration, especially in Jesus's day, but we're talking about what refrigerators are only maybe, I'm going to guess, 100 years old. You know, I mean, if you have ice boxes, ice boxes, of course, were a, a more primitive form of refrigeration. But nonetheless, even before that, uh, the only way you're going to be able to preserve meat for a long time is to salt it. And the, the, the nature of salt will dry out that meat. You know, if you salt meat like they would in Jesus' day, and again, just 100 years ago they would do this, they would salt meat, cover it in salt. They would take this fresh meat that they've just butchered, cover it in salt, and that salt would preserve it and allow it to last for months. Salt has a preserving factor in it. Factor in it. It, is a, it has this chemical... Um, properties in itself that stops decay it keeps the meat from decaying same way with refrigeration you put food in a refrigerator to keep it cold so that it doesn't spoil as quickly if you take a gallon of milk and leave it on the counter on a hot summer day outside on a hot summer day it will spoil within hours but you can put it in your fridge and it will be good for a week 10 days Salt's the same way. It preserves something from decaying. And Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. See, now, as a believer, as a Christian, you have a preserving power in you. And not just for your benefit, but for the benefit of the earth. In studying for this wake-up call, I had these two particular passages that came to mind. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verse 5. Uh, this may seem a little, I don't know, you might think, wow, that, that, that's kind of far left field out here, you know, far out in left field. Uh, but I'm going to show you how this connects. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. This passage is dealing with the Antichrist, who is to be revealed, who has not been revealed at this point, but after the rapture of the church will be revealed. But I want you to see this. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 5 says this. Do you not remember... That when I was still with you, I told you these things. Verse 6. And now you know what is restraining that he, the Antichrist, may be revealed in his own time. Verse 7. For the mystery or the hidden truth, the spirit of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, capital he, who now restrains, will do so until he is taken out of the way. In this passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, by the Spirit of the Lord, Paul's teaching about the Antichrist, and he's reassuring the church in Thessalonica that they have not missed the rapture. And one of the reasons he assures them they've not missed the rapture is this. If the rapture had taken place, if the rapture of the church had taken place, the Antichrist would already be revealed. And he made this point. The Antichrist cannot be revealed until God raptures his church. Why is it necessary for the church to be raptured or uh, caught up from the earth in order for the Antichrist to be revealed? 
because the church is the body of Christ. That's why in verse 6, verse 7, it says, until he who restrains is taken out of the way. The church is the restraining factor of evil. Now, sometimes some churches may not seem like that. In fact, there are some churches that aren't churches. They're churches only in name. They're just social gatherings, and they propagate uh, political correctness, social correctness, new ageism. They, they don't preach a gospel of Christ. They don't preach the gospel of Christ, rather. Now, I'm not talking about those people, but I'm talking about real people. I'm talking about you, the faithful, that are listening to this podcast. I'm talking about people who are sold out for Christ. You are salt of the earth. Jesus said it. You are the salt of the earth. And you restrain evil. Think about it. In your life alone, when you submit to Christ, well, Satan can't use you because you're submitted to God. You're doing the works of Christ, the works of righteousness. Well, that's one less person that Satan can work through. But also, when you are telling people about Jesus... That slows the work of sin. When you win people to Christ, that slows the work of sin. When you help to build the church through your local church, you invite people to church, when you share the word of God with people, when the church grows, that is hindering the work of lawlessness. When you speak the truth that reveals lies, that slows down the work of Satan. And Christ has given authority and dominion to the church. You have power with God to bind and loose, to pray His will into the earth. That slows down what Satan is trying to do. That hinders the spirit of lawlessness, which is now in work in the earth. But it would also hinder the work of the Antichrist. And so the church must be removed And Jesus is making this point here. You, Christian, you are here because you preserve the earth. You restrain wickedness. As a Christian, you slow down the work of evil. I want to in thinking about that, the Lord brought this to my heart. Genesis 18, verse 25, Abraham says this to God. He says, far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should not be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. That's one verse in the series of verses that you can read in Genesis 18. When God comes to speak directly to Abraham, because God says, I cannot do what I'm about to do, which is destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their incredible wickedness that had become so unhindered. The wickedness of these two city nations had just become so rampant that God, again, I don't know when this takes place, but there is a time in the mind of God where he says, this this is it, judgment has to come. God is merciful. He is slow. He, he, He is slow to bring judgment, not because he's lazy, 2 Peter 3, 9, but he is, he, he is patient. The Bible says he's long-suffering. He's patient with us because he desires all to be saved. The only time, the only reason that 
wickedness and evil gets to continue is not because God overlooks it. It's He's giving people time to repent. He's merciful. And Sodom and Gomorrah had come to this fruition, this this culmination, this this peak, pinnacle place of sin to where God could no longer allow time to go on for them to continue into their sin, and particularly the sin of homosexuality that was just so rampant in this city, and of violence. You can see that when, when these two angels go to rescue Abraham's nephew Lot and his family. But Abraham begins to intercede, pray on the behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah, obviously because he knows Lot, his nephew's there. And Abraham is saying, now, Lord, if there's 50 righteous people, will you spare this city? And God said, of course, uh, if there's 50 righteous people, I I will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's when Abraham says, well, of course, because far be it from you to judge the righteous with the wicked. And if you haven't read it, go read it. It's Genesis 18. But if you have, you know the story. Abraham works his way all the way down to 10 righteous folk. And he said, if there's just 10 people, will you destroy the city? And God said, no, I won't destroy the city. If there's 10 righteous, I will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And obviously there wasn't. But Abraham made this point. He said, Lord, you cannot destroy the righteous with the wicked. See, you are the salt of the earth, and you have a preserving power in you. You know, your city, your nation, very well may still be intact. I, know, I believe this with all my heart. Your city, your family, your business, your nation, the business you work for is still intact because you're part of it. There's a blessing on you as a believer, as a sold-out believer submitted to God, loving God, obeying God, and because of your faithfulness, destruction hasn't taken place on other people, on your city, on the business you work for, the people you're with. Out of mercy for you, judgment hasn't come on someone else. And that's the same way in this earth, in our nations, in our cities. There's a preserving power in the body of Christ, God is, as long as he has his body in the earth, as long as he has a church that is preaching truth and declaring the word of God, he's not going to bring destruction. He's going to wait because he desires that all be saved. And you have to understand that you are salt of the earth. You preserve, you keep things from decaying. Don't, 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 you know, don't stop and think, well, I don't, you know, I wish somebody would do something about it. No, you are the one who should do something about it because you're the one who has power to do something about it. You have the power of Christ in you. You have the spirit of God in you. You have the indomitable spirit of God. You are the one who will do something about it. You are the one that needs to be on your school uh, school council board on the school board so so that they're not teaching insanity and gender fluidity and transgenderism all this nonsense in schools you you stand up for your children you stand up in your schools you stand up on the job you you stand up in your church you stand up for the truth of God's word and the integrity of his truth and and, and what he says is right and wrong because there's a preserving power in you You are salt of the earth. 
Now, I mentioned, as we just covered, salt has a preserving factor that keeps things from decaying, but salt also seasons. Maybe you've made a recipe and you forgot one ingredient and it just threw everything off. I've done that before with baking soda. Man, you would never, you don't ever crave just baking soda, right? Man, I wish I had some baking soda. But it's like every good, tasty, baked good has baking soda in it. Cookies, cakes, all these things have baking soda. And depending on how much, if you do too much baking soda or too little, it can just totally mess up how things rise and how things cook. Um, but salt's like that. You leave out salt and you're like, eh, it's just missing something. But just that added element of salt changes the flavor of something so drastically. It brings out other flavors in the foods. Well, you are the salt of the earth and you are pleasant and pleasing to God. Hebrews 13, 15 says this, Therefore by Him, Christ, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Verse 16, But do not forget to do good and to share for such sacrifices. God is pleased, is well pleased. God is well pleased. See, your praise, your worship, your prayers... You honoring people, you sharing with one another, these are all sacrifices to God. In the book of Leviticus, I believe it's Leviticus chapter 2, there is a law that when, you were, when they were to bring the sacrifice to God at the tabernacle and then later the temple, they had to salt the meat sacrifice so that it would be pleasant to God. And when you worship God, it's like a sweet-smelling aroma. It's like a pleasant recipe. It's like a pleasant dish that has been cooked. It smells good. And you think, man, at this taste, half as good as it smells, you know it's going to be a good dinner. And then you sit down and you taste it. Man, it tastes even better than it smells. The worship that you give to God, the praise that you give to God, the honor that you give to God, declaring His Word, obeying His Word, treating people with the love of God, Loving people, sharing good, uh, sharing with people, sharing the burden and load with one another, helping people, blessing people. Those are all sacrifices unto God. And they're sweet and they're pleasant, just like salt on food. Philippians 4.18, Paul says this to the church in Philippi, Indeed, I have all and abound. And I am full, having received from Ephroditus the things sent from you. The church of Philippi had partnered. They were covenant ministry partners with Paul. And they were supporting financially the work of the gospel, sending money and resources to Paul so that he could preach the gospel and go on missionary journeys. And he's saying, I received all those things. And then he says this, that, that I received them from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. See, when you give, when you know the tithe, the offering, it's a sweet-smelling sacrifice unto the Lord. It's well-pleasing unto God. When you 
honor the Lord and and you pay the cost to see the gospel preached throughout the earth. I mean, I've done this so many times. I tithe to my local church. I give offerings as led by the Holy Spirit. I'm connected with different ministries. That's a pleasant sacrifice that I'm giving a portion of what I've been able to earn through the gifts and skills and talents that God's given me. And then I return it back to Him, to His church, to ministers, so that people can hear the gospel just like I've had the privilege to hear the gospel. Well, that's a sweet sacrifice to God. It's well-pleasing. It is a sacrifice that has been seasoned. And that's the nature of salt is that it brings a pleasant taste to whatever it seasons. And then lastly, salt. You ever, you ever eat something so salty and when you get done, you're like, man, I'm, I'm thirsty now. And you could just drink an entire glass of water. We, we found these pretzels at Aldi, the greatest grocery store known to man. And they have these pretzels. I think they're pub-style pretzels is what they're called. But they're so salty. Oh, they taste so good. And uh, usually if I eat something really sweet, I've got to have a little bit of salt to cleanse my palate. So I'll grab some of those pretzels. But then, of course, after I eat them, I'm thirsty. Salt makes you thirsty. You know, eat something really salty. I don't know. What is it? I guess popcorn has butter, doesn't it? I don't know. Uh, imagine something with a lot of salt on it. Those pretzels, were, I guess, was my best example that I had in, in my example bank, my example library. But salt causes thirst. You know, your presence, your nature, what you say, how you live should cause other people to thirst for the things of God. You know, the Bible says, and just in the Beatitudes where we just began in Matthew 5, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. Now, obviously, that's a, that's a reality for you and me. We are being filled with the living water of God because we hunger and thirst for righteousness. But also think about this. You, being salt of the earth, you should cause other people to be thirsty for the water of God, for the things of God. Acts 4.13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they'd been with Jesus. When people get done talking to you, when people work with you, when people live with you, when people go to school with you, the faithful, they should want to know what makes you different? If they're not a Christian, they should leave desiring to know Christ. They, they, they should hear you speak the Word of God. They should hear you share the truth of God's Word. And just you being you, the salt of the earth, should cause them to say, you know what? I want what you've got. I want what makes you different. And that gives you a perfect opportunity to say, well, it's Christ Jesus. It's the Lord Jesus who lives inside of me, and you can have him just like I have him. Because salt produces or causes thirst. And your, your presence, you existing in the earth, should cause other people to seek Christ. So, hey, I want to encourage you, stay salty. As Christ said, if salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing. Don't be good for nothing. You're the faithful. You're good for many things. You're good for something. <laughs> You're good for many things. Stay 
salty. Hey, I'm so thankful that you joined me here for this wake-up call, and I'm excited for this coming teaching. Uh, It is this coming Thursday, of course. Every Monday, we've got a brand new wake-up call. Every Thursday, we have a longer-form podcast, and I'm excited. It is called Guard Your Heart. I'm excited for this upcoming podcast episode this Thursday entitled Guard your heart. So make sure you catch me here on the Faith for My Generation podcast channel. Uh, If you're listening and you've not left the five-star review, hey, go ahead and leave a five-star review. I would greatly appreciate it. And more importantly, catch me on Thursday as we have a brand new episode entitled Guard Your Heart. And remember, we are the faithful. I'll see you next time. God bless. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you, and every Thursday I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.